Welcome to Jerusalem Studio Podcast. Join us to discuss the latest updates from Israel and the region. Shalom and welcome to Jerusalem Studio. The seventh round of talks between an outsized Iranian delegation and those of six smaller ones representing Europe, China, and Russia resumed earlier this week with the American envoys in touch through the non-Iranian partners to the 2015 nuclear deal. There are at least two levels to this round, the first one held during the presidency of Ibrahim Raisi. In addition to what goes on in the negotiating room, with the exchanges of written drafts and spoken comments, there is the public soundtrack of claims and announcements by officials and media reports based on briefings by several parties. One of the main topics is Iran's methodical climb up the enriched uranium ladder, suggesting an ominous but not imminent narrowing of the gap towards weapon-grade fissile material. How advanced is this progress and what does it mean in practical terms should the Iranian leadership decide to race towards nuclear weapons? Joining us to discuss this topic from New York City is Dr. Oli Heinonen, who is the former Deputy Director General at the International Atomic Energy Agency and a Distinguished Fellow at the Stimson Center in Washington, D.C. Thank you for joining us, sir. Also joining us from elsewhere in New York City is Mr. Jason Brodsky, who is a Policy Director at United Against Nuclear Iran. Thank you for joining us as well, sir. And with us here at the studio is TV7's editor-at-large and host of both Watchmen Talk and Powers in Play, Mr. Amir Oren. Amir, give us a broader understanding on the latest developments pertaining to our topic today. So um, Iran's negotiating tactic uh, seems to be uh, clever, uh, could turn out to be too clever and backfire. But right now, uh, apparently, it is enriching uranium um, much more than um, it was authorized to do. And not only that, it wants to be caught red-handed in order to put pressure on uh, the uh, U.S. uh, side. Now, uh, over the weekend, uh, an American official uh, who, according to ground rules, went unnamed, but sounded eerily reminiscent of uh, negotiator uh, Rob Malley, Uh, we, of course, cannot uh, be too specific about it, uh, pointed out that contrary to some media reports, the Iranians have not started reaching to 90%. They are still at the 60 and 20%. What uh, this uh, official who briefed the the press wanted to uh, convey was that the American side is willing to go back to full compliance full, for full Iranian compliance, and that the uh, Iranians uh, up to now have tried, much like uh, in the bazaar in uh, Isfahan or in Shiraz, they have tried to put forward several suggestions uh, earlier uh, during the uh, spring and early summer. Of course, the uh, Americans um, came back with some mutual draft concessions, Um, All all of that is uh, ad referendum. Only if uh, everything is uh, uh, settled, uh, then uh, all of these items uh, should be included. But now, uh, during the seventh round, 
the Iranians uh, have retracted their earlier offers, but wanted to pocket the American uh, draft concessions. So apparently, um, uh, not uh, for nothing is it called a round, because the Iranians went round and round and uh, tried uh, to uh, corral uh, the Americans. They have not uh, managed to do it uh, up to now. But time is running short. Indeed. I'd like to refer the, the first question uh, to Dr. Heinonen. Uh, two quotes, uh, if I may, from the deputy spokeswoman of Germany with regard to uh, the nuclear talks uh, immediately after they were concluded on Friday, where she uh, initially says Iran co consistently continues its nuclear ambitions and its nuclear program while we seek to make a revival or return of the JCPOA possible in Vienna. And the other point uh, she mentioned, we're now expected that, uh, expect that the Iranian delegation after consultations in Tehran will return to Vienna with realistic proposals, which can move forward based on what had been established in the discussions until June, meaning the Iranians on the one hand are developing uh, their nuclear program progressing quite in an alarming way. And on the other hand, they're coming with proposals that are empty of substance. Dr. Heinonen, what, what can we learn from this? First of all, thank you. Uh, Iran is proceeding, I think, in a very careful, planned, calibrated way to increase its enrichment capability in order to keep the pressure to the other parts. What we saw now was the uh, activation of uh, IR6 more advanced centrifuges in Fordo and as we speak, most likely to, in these days, they have now this magic 120 kilograms of 20% enriched uranium in their stocks, which means that that would be enough for one single crude nuclear weapon. And I assume that they will proceed this way. You mentioned this 90% enriched uranium question. Certainly they can proceed that, to that actually in two ways. One is really brutally to produce 90% enriched uranium and collect it and show to the world that we have it. The other way to do it is a much more uh, finer way to do it, to show that we can do it, but we don't collect the product. And what you do in such a case that you put this kind of uh, advanced centrifuge cascade running, for example, which they have in the pilot enrichment plant, feed it with 20% enriched uranium. And when it comes out from the centrifuge, there are two pipes. One is having the enriched uranium. In this case, it could be the 90% enriched uranium. And the other part has the tails of the depleted uranium. But then you put them back together. And now you have demonstrated that you can produce 90% enriched uranium, and you've got experience on that. But then you perhaps not provocate that much the diplomats who have sensitive skin in Vienna, and, but you have sent your signal. I think this is probably what this speculation out there is all about at this point of time. Then they gave a couple of documents uh, during the last session. One was to do with the, how to uh, remove the sanctions. And the second paper was what they described nuclear issues. And in both cases, the 
counterparts, but particularly the Europeans and the US felt that Iran was backstepping from the agreements or proposals. There was no agreement in June, but proposals made in June and came with a much harder line. I think that this is uh, what they are complaining and go back now or come back to this round of the discussions and try to iron out a reasonable solution. At the same time, we have to remember that Iran is coming still with one more document, which we have not yet likely seen. And this is how to verify the removal of sanctions. And I bet that this will be somehow tied with the nuclear issues or constraints. So they go in the balanced way that once they get more comfortable with the with the reduction or removal of sanctions, then they ease with this enrichment and slows down. So I think that these are now the discussions which are ongoing in Vienna. Indeed. Mr. Bolski, uh, your take on this? Yes, I agree. I think that what Iran is doing, it's undertaking three kinds of strategies right now uh, in Vienna. Uh, one is that uh, the U.S. and Iran, I should say, are really engaging what I call what what you, former U.S. Secretary of State Jim Baker used to call dead cat diplomacy, trying to position uh, one side or the other as at fault if a negotiation breaks down. And if Iran sticks to the current demands that uh, it's uh, at, that it's expressing in Vienna, we're headed more for a breakdown than a breakthrough. So the U.S. Uh, has uh, uh, basically during that call that you referenced earlier, that uh, that was referenced earlier in the program, uh, the U.S. was already saying that uh, or hinting that uh, it's positioning itself to uh, make it seem like Iran killed the nuclear deal, not the United States, despite its withdrawal. Uh, and uh, I think we also see Iran engaging in its own version of this dead cat diplomacy, where uh, it is uh, trying to say we submitted these documents. Uh, the world powers haven't come up with concrete uh, answers to these uh, documents on the nuclear and the sanctions side. And so it's trying to portray itself as the reasonable party. So that's one tactic Iran, in my view, is uh, undertaking, and also the United States. Another is that Iran is saying and doing enough for for, um, for uh, earning another meeting, but not necessarily earning an agreement at this stage. And what I mean by that is Iran is viewing these proposals uh, that Dr. Heinonen mentioned on nuclear issues and on sanctions, part of the compliance equation, as a way to uh, get you know the conversation started on its own terms uh, and framing them as mere proposals, despite the fact that they walked back or reversed many of the compromises that were reached in the prior rounds. And so uh, Iran is that's that will likely be enough to earn the support of more sympathetic negotiating partners like China and Russia uh, in the negotiating room. And uh, that's part of Iran's calculation is to divide the P5 plus one and to uh, play the powers off of one against each other. And so it's trying to earn another meeting, uh, so the, but not, another, not an agreement at this stage. And lastly, I would say that we've seen an Iranian rhetoric really a deprioritization of the nuclear deal. Iran's supreme leader hasn't personally commented on the nuclear deal for months. 
uh, when uh, e when President Ibrahim Raisi does comment on the nuclear program, they are very brief comments, uh, and uh, he doesn't spend a great deal of time talking about that, in contrast to his predecessor, Hassan Rouhani, who uh, spoke at length about the nuclear file. And uh, we saw at a recent interview that Raisi gave on Sunday, uh, during an hour-long live television interview, he spent one minute on uh, the status of the negotiations in Vienna. And I think that that's telling us something. He's not raising the public's expectation of a breakthrough in Vienna. And lastly, we see the budget, the next year's budget in Iran that's been presented, and it's being produced with the assumption that sanctions continue. So I think Iran's calculation is to use the talks to buy time to advance its nuclear program at the same time as implementing a resistance economy to neutralize sanctions uh, and pivot to China uh, as well uh, in an attempt to bolster its economy. Indeed. Mr. Oren, I'd like to point to two uh, things. Of course, uh, CIA director uh, is not convinced that the Iranians are uh, currently acting in good faith, and he stated uh, earlier this week that uh, the Iranians are not taking the negotiations seriously at this point. It was a pretty discouraging result, uh, to which the uh, spokesperson for the Iranian foreign ministry highlighted, and if I may, uh, Said Hatibzadeh said it as follows, if an agreement is signed today and no considerations, assurances, or verifications take place, as per the statements of the Western countries themselves, none of their companies and their investments will take place in this country. It is natural that as defenders of the rights of the people, we try uh, our fullest extent to safe keep the rights of the people. And then he continues later, hopefully everyone will soon be able to see that our team appears in Vienna with the goal of a good agreement. And we hope that opposition side appears with uh, this same goal. So uh, it seems like the regime is selling uh, that an agreement is going to happen to the Iranian people, all the while saying we're not going to accept any uh, conditions that the West are currently putting for us. So where are we heading from here? Well, neither uh, uh, Khamenei nor uh, Raisi are subject to fact-checkers the way Biden or earlier Trump uh, were uh, each time they... Uh, uh, make a speech, and uh, obviously everyone, um, professionals um, and adversaries, uh, race to point out the inaccuracies or the contradictions. Uh, once the Supreme Leader decides that uh, this is beneficial for the regime or for the nation of Iran, um, so be it. Um, it will be um, a done deal. Now, uh, Russia and China, of course, have bigger fish to fry. China uh, with Taiwan and the entire uh, South China Sea crisis, Russia with the Ukraine. And uh, compared to that, uh, Iran is small fry, um, which is why um, one uh, can be certain that uh, even if not uh, all of the information uh, was made public, in the uh, uh, Putin-Biden talk, Iran was secondary to the real uh, crisis. And therefore, in Vienna, uh, the Americans, um, in return to uh, some moderation, um, at least tactical, in the uh, stance of China and Russia, will have to get closer to these two uh, powers. And um, while you cited the, the Germans, one cannot really trust the Germans, the British, the French, 
and the EU uh, to uh, stand behind uh, the Americans because President Trump was the one who withdrew from uh, the deal, which the Europeans um, uh, and the Iranians have been respecting. Even though what I hear in Europe, the Europeans are not very happy with the uh, conduct of the European Union uh, with regard to coordinating the deal at this stage. And they're also more hesitant about a return than the Biden administration, which is seemingly quite keen on reviving this agreement. Well, um, had we been uh, in an Yiddish vaudeville show rather than in a serious discussion, my retort uh, would have been uh, happy schmappy. Uh, it, does, it doesn't really matter whether uh, they are really happy or unhappy or that this is their public posture. Eventually, a deal uh, will have to either be cut or withdrawn, and Biden will have to face uh, the electorate which really means that the gap can be bridged by political will. It is not substance which is on the table, but Biden's uh, calculation of whatever the market will bear. U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken uh, earlier this week uh, during a conference of Reuters Next, uh, stated uh, uh, the following, the window is very, very tight because what is not acceptable and what we will not allow to happen is for Iran to try to drag out this process while continuing to move forward in exor exorably, excuse me, in building up its program. So we've said all along that if that the path to a return to compliance with the agreement turns out to be a dead end, we will pursue other options. Dr. Heinonen, to what degree are we at that stage where uh, Iran, as you have mentioned in previous programs, has already reached uh, the point where it became a nuclear threshold state? Nevertheless, it does not have all the weapon or delivery systems in order to uh, utilize the various uh, components uh, in order to target uh, or to utilize uh, a nuclear weapon as a first functioning bomb. How far are we from that stage? And what is the point of no return where the Iranians then, from a military perspective, become an actual threshold state? Well, we have several measures for the threshold state, and one is this inventory of fissile material, high enriched or low enriched, where you can break out, let's say, less than one month time. And that has been achieved. There's no doubt about it. Facts are on the table and on the IAEA reports. Now, certainly, the diplomats may define another threshold point there down on the road. But I would not be so optimistic about that they don't have a delivery vehicle. They have this Sahab 3 missile, which was then updated and is much more advanced than what it was in 2003. It's now fielded. It works. And they have had even some cooperation with the North Koreans on, on that. So I think that they must have a fairly good design by now for the uh, missile re-entry vehicle. Re-entry itself probably has not been tested, so that is a big question mark. But if we look back to 2003 and 2004 documentation, which was taken from I Iran at that point on time, they did quite a lot of modeling of the re-entry vehicle to the atmosphere, all the stresses, temperatures, which have an impact on the payload. So I think that this is, for me, quite an unknown how far they are on that. 
and that has not been verified, that has been left out from the JCPOA with the hope that people can control the fissile material production, which means that practically there's only one egg which was in the basket, and that was the fissile material. All the eggs were, uh, eggs were somewhere else, and we really don't know except some intel information which remains to be verified. So I think that the real concern is there, but on the other hand, it's an important point for Iran to leave and go really to build a nuclear weapon. So I think that they will he hesitate to take that, that step and they will be very careful in making that judgment because it will make them pretty isolated uh, in the world. Perhaps not as isolated as North Korea for the time being, because Iran has some other assets like selling of oil. But I think that that is quite a, quite a decision to make. So I don't think we are yet there. I, I see that we will continue with these discussions until early next year. Jonathan, let me ask um, uh, Oli a question, perhaps an sure. academic one. When did the United States become a nuclear weapon state? Before Alamogordo or after the Trinity test? Um, before Hiroshima? Well, you, you can certainly see that once you have demonstrated uh, your skills in the test, you definitely are a nuclear weapon state. But we have to remember that the demonstration is a demonstration. It has two meanings. Technically test that your weapon works, and at the same time to show to the world that you have that weapon. That sends a political message and security message. And then let's not forget one of the bombs dropped to Japan during World War II was never tested. Your take on uh, the previous uh, points? Yes, I think Iran is going to be still engaging in this hedging strategy. Uh, it is a big decision. I agree with Dr. Heinonen. Uh, I think sur the supreme leader is going to uh, continue to advance the nuclear program as far as uh, he can take it in the attempt to extract more concessions from the international community. You know, I would suggest that uh, Iran's core nuclear strategy has not changed between Rouhani and Raisi, Rouhani's last days especially, and Raisi's early days. And uh, the shift in the Iranian system towards this, uh, you know, trying to extract more from the international community started in the uh, latter days of uh, Rouhani's presidency. And I think that uh, the uh, system feels that uh, it's stronger in 2021 than it was in 2015, and that the Supreme Leader feels Iran rushed in 2015. He stated this publicly, and that uh, Iran should now take its time uh, in uh, Vienna. And so we're seeing this play out in real time. Indeed. However, are the Iranians at a time when the people throughout the country are suffering uh, from uh, almost uh, the lowest point of, of the worth of the, the rial and, and other aspects that are uh, forcing the country into uh, recession and, and so much more uh, from that, are they uh, really taking their time or is there some strategy that we're not really um, factoring into this calculation? Well, I dare to uh, venture the proposition 
that the uh, people of Iran are more um, cared about, cared for by the Americans, the Israelis, and uh, most everyone else around the world than by their own rulers. As long as the regime feels that the IRGC, the Basij, and the other uh, power uh, centers uh, can hold, uh, it doesn't really care whether um, the, the Iranians uh, suffer or not. But obviously, uh, they are playing um, a game which they must decide very uh, shortly whether to, um, to cut uh, a deal or to cut and run. Indeed. Well, we're drawing near to the end of the program, and I'd like to give each and every one of you the opportunity to have a closing statement. Dr. Heinonen, we'll start with you. Thank you. This is going to be a long Christmas and a long New Year before this uh, we will ha see any result from those discussions. And this is a very early stage. Now they have each party has painted their new positions, particularly Iran has some new positions. The other party has shown its dissatisfaction. Now they are talking whether they can find a common ground. And what I think that one of the victims of this will be actually the addressing the core problem, the content of Iran's nuclear program. Because if there is a deal, it will be a compromise. And some of these elements will be left out, like perhaps following all the developments on the missile arena. So people have to think now carefully that is this really the deal we want to keep as it is mm -hmm. or whether it needs to be modified. And if that is to make that decision and achieve the modification, it will take much more time than what we think. At the same time, Iran proceeds gradually with this uh, uh, increasing of the enrichment capability. Uh, Diplomats agree with that because they have reached what is called Iran fatigue. They are used to these small steps. So one more step actually doesn't change the picture. So it will take still, still some time when the parties feel that the limit for the pain has been Indeed. exceeded. Mr. Blotsky, you have about 40 seconds. Uh, yes, I agree. I think that uh, it's going to take time. Uh, I am of the view that the 2015 JCPOA is not a sustainable way forward for the United States. Uh, one thing that we didn't discuss is how members of Congress in the United States feel about this and the political durability of that deal. And the U.S. at the end of the day needs a bipartisan Iran strategy. No deal that's inked in Vienna is going to survive unless it has Republican and Democratic buy-in. And that's what's going to be critical for the United States uh, in the months ahead. Mr. Owen? I can disclose the secret of the deadline. The deal will have to be signed by Sunday, March 20th, 2022, which is Novruz, the uh, Iranian uh, New Year's. Indeed. Well, uh, this is all the time that we have for today. And uh, speculation aside, we'll have to wait and see. Uh, I'd like to thank... Dr. Heinonen, Mr. Brodsky, and Mr. Owen for being part of today's panel. And I'd like to thank our viewers as well, and we will see you next time. Thank you for joining us in another Jerusalem Studio podcast. For more content on Israel and its region, we invite you to visit our website at tv7israelnews.com and follow us on social media.